Hey, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on today. How you doing? My pleasure. I'm really happy to be here. I'm doing great. Doing great. It's a beautiful day in New York City. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. I'm glad to hear you're joining us from uh, the other coast. No, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, we're huge fans of user experience. In fact, I do a lot of design work myself, and I'm always trying to convince clients that less is more and make it elegant, and, you know, there's no need to make that logo bigger and all that other stuff. Um, <laughs> tell us more about your background and the book and, and you know, give, get into it a little bit. Sure. My background is in interaction design, user experience design. It's where I started, and... Uh, I spent a good chunk of, of uh, I came up through the first dot-com boom and spent a lot of time doing uh, consulting and just learning how to do interaction design with everybody else on the web as it evolved. Right. Um, over the course of my career, I've, I've moved into more in-house roles working with companies like AOL where I spent a lot of time, uh, Fidelity, and, um, and then uh, Web Trends um, out in Portland, Oregon, okay. um, building teams and building uh, you know, multidisciplinary design teams and working on more complex products and uh, software as a service. And, um, and over the last few years, I've been building uh, cross-functional teams and using those cross-functional teams uh, to learn how to build even better products. And so I spent uh, almost four years at a company in New York called The Ladders, uh, both building a UX practice but also building a cross-functional product design uh, practice that really did an excellent job actually over time after much stumbling and learning uh, in bridging the gap between uh, engineering and design and product management and business needs and agile processes and uh, uh, really helped refine a lot of the ideas that, that went into the Lean UX book, which was a focus on rethinking the way uh, design was being done uh, in today's world. Gotcha. Well, let's let's be clear here. We're talking about large companies with lots of folks working, a um, lot of politics, obviously. Um, how, as a designer, as a lean UX, what are the key principles that you talk about in your book, and and how does that affect even some of the smaller guys, smaller smaller companies? Look, the, the principles are, are the things that, that we talk about in the book are applicable across any organization. They're really uh, foundations for solid uh, product development practices. And, and, and again, I'll, I'll reiterate the word foundation. It's, it's, it's a, a starting point. It's a framework. It's a way of approaching a project that then will morph as you wrap the context of your situation uh, of your organization, of your company, of your startup around those ideas. So if you work in a large company with lots of politics and lots of uh, silos and, and challenges like that, mm -hmm. that will morph the ideas and the foundations in one way. If you work in a startup, it'll morph it in a different way. But it, it, it focuses the team on approaching work um, from a discovery and a market-tested point of view. And it always keeps the user at the center of the conversation, which is something that designers have always done, right. but it, it brings that concept to a much broader set of, of uh, folks, regardless of the, the organization. Okay. What has been the, the shift or the change in the last few years or that has brought us to this point? Why is UX user experience so important at all? Like, like well, you said, we've always had design, I mean, right? Right. There is a, uh, there's been a couple of shifts lately that have been really interesting. The first is the, the complete change in the way that software is being delivered. 
the software used to be delivered in uh, you know shrink wrapped packages mm -hmm. on store shelves. Right. That wasn't that long ago, yeah, <laughs> and they're still right. and still to some extent being delivered that way. Right, but that's a, that's a dying way of, of distributing software. But because of that, there was a very explicit process that had, you had to make sure that you had no errors in your product before you launched anything. The nature of software delivery has changed dramatically to now we're delivering software continuously. We have the ability to push software live as fast as we can create it. Right. In fact, uh, Amazon pushes software live every 11.6 seconds. Wow. Right? Yeah, every 11 seconds they push some bit of code live. Right. Right? That fundamentally changes the way you approach developing and designing software. So that's one. Okay. The second thing has been the adoption of Agile. Uh, if nothing else, whether you buy into Agile or don't buy into Agile, the, the, the philosophies that the Agile movement espouses change the way that we work together. They change the way that we approach work. And there's been a huge uptake in that collaborative way of working, in that, hey, let's work in small chunks, let's deliver value to the customer faster, and we can do that now because we can deploy continuously. Right. And the third thing that's driven this this change, this movement into changing the way that we work is the, the realization that design and user experience is one of the critical success factors in any product. And that's courtesy of companies like Netflix and Apple and any company that brings quality design to the forefront as their core message. I mean, Instagram did a really great job with that and it worked out really well for that team. Right. Um, but any, any company that puts design first, and so all of a sudden, you've got this, this kind of, this, this convergence of these three massive forces. You've got continuous deployment, mm -hmm. which changes the way that we, the, it changes the nature of the work. We, we, we can, if we can deploy as fast as we can, that all of a sudden gives us the ability to, to launch things and see if they work, as opposed to waiting a year to launch something and then hoping that it'll work and then waiting a year to update it. Trying we to can launch something. Ahead of time. Yeah. So we can... Right, exactly. Yeah. You wait a week, you learn something and you and you change it again. You've got these these agile practices coming and then the and then and then the value of design is all of a sudden being realized by a much broader swath of folks, including at the startup in the startup world and in the in the in the enterprise world. So yeah. all these things are coming together. And in the center of all this is, 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 UX, is a UX practice that's been chugging along for 20, 30 years, essentially working the same way, which is very, very, uh, uh, in, in a very uh, serial path, a very gated process, uh, document and deliverables heavy, um, very much working towards what you just said, perfecting everything in advance, and then only interacting with our colleagues in engineering or in product management when we feel that something is perfect. Well, so we, we know we've and got this book out, not to interrupt Jeff. Uh, we don't have a ton of time. It'd be, really, okay. it'd be really great if we can maybe get into some of the core principles and maybe uh, you, can you can go into a little bit of an overview into each one. Sure, absolutely. Um, and so the book, we hold the book. There we go, Lean there UX. Lean yeah. UX, the book. And as big a letter, the biggest letters they could possibly fit on the cover. Is there a whole bunch of words in this book? Is there actual diagrams or what do we? <laughs> it's it's you know look the book's 150 pages long. Oh, that's right? good. It's, I like that. It's, it's a lean book too. It, it's a lean book. It's a, even if it was all words, 
still not that many not words, that many. but uh, there are there are pictures and there are some diagrams. Okay, but there's cool. you know there's, there's and and so essentially what the book talks about is this. It says, look, first of all, um, there are a lot of design techniques that can be used to uh, to facilitate a much more collaborative cross-functional process with your team. So take your engineer, take your designer, take your, your product manager, whoever that is in your startup, maybe it's just maybe uh, that's your CEO or your founder, and put them in a room together and have everybody brainstorm on ideas together and work on sketching together and then work on creating whatever the smallest representation is of the thing that we think we should build. Right, and that could be a sketch, that could be a prototype, that could be code, that could be a mock-up, whatever, whatever works well. The smallest get... representation. What does that mean exactly? I mean, it's, it's a, that it's real, that it's not in my head, that it's actually out on the world. Yes, yeah, it has to be. Yeah, it's it's a thing that you can put in front of customers. Okay. And start to get some kind of feedback. Gotcha. It could be a mock-up, could be a Keytopia PowerPoint thing, it could be code, it could be UX or user user interface. Yeah, any, anything that anything that you can put in front of a customer okay. uh, to say uh, as part as part of a broader conversation that assesses whether this customer has a need for the thing that you're building. Right. Mm, right. And then if they have a need, do they actually value the thing that you're building? And then finally, the last question you want to ask is, can you use the thing that I'm building? Right. And so by having these continuous conversations with customers. Hmm. Do you value? Do, uh, is there something you need, and can I use? Those are the key right. things. Right. So start with so, yeah. So you're validating the need first, right? Do people need another photo sharing app? Right. Right. <laughs> right. They probably don't. I don't. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, but if let's if if they do, then do you value the way that we as a startup have approached photo sharing, okay. which is radically different than everybody else, of course. Right. Right. Okay, terrific. You do value that. Now, can you actually use our the way that we intend to implement this? Like, does the, the user interface intuitive? When you click here, does this what you thought was going to happen? That kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. And that, but that's that's like that's the last that's piece the last, of the conversation. Gotcha. Right. 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 Yeah, okay. you, you don't want to even get there if you can't prove that there is a need and that people actually value the work. Because at that point, what you what you've learned is that your hypothesis was wrong. And so you shouldn't spend any more time designing down this particular path, and you should you should figure out what feedback you've gotten and design in this new you know it should nudge you in a more accurate direction. So uh, people have called that pivoting, um, but whatever whatever you want to call it, it, in adjusting your path each time you learn something new from the market. Gotcha. Now let's say I was going after expectant mothers, pregnant women. How, in your opinion, would I go and find these ladies, and how would I do that initial custom development piece? Do I get them on a hangout? Do I physically drive over to their home? Do I get them in a bunch of bunch of them in a room with behind a two-way mirror? Like, what? What's the best way? Yeah. Well, for, uh, first and foremost, uh, you know, to, to to use a cliche, you fish where the fish are, right? And so, um, where where do expectant mothers hang out, right? Where do they hang out online? Where do they hang out physically, and uh, let's go, let's go find them, okay. right? And then yes, you should have uh, as much as you can one-on-one uh, -on -one conversations. Listen, s some of the, the best conversations you can have is what's called the street intercept. It's where you, okay. you simply like you can go hang out at maternity clothing stores, right? And just say, hey, no, I'm, I'm serious, and <laughs> no, go no, talk you're to right. people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
You can and, even have and, your and iPad so, there, maybe even a clickable Keytopia thing going or whatever. Yeah. Abs- absolutely. Listen, I mean, you can use tools like there's tools like Balsamic, for example. Are you guys familiar with Balsamic? Yeah. Yeah. It's just you know it's just a squiggly line sketching tool where you put hotspots on that thing and you export it to PDF and then full screen on a on a on a tablet, you, it's a tappable prototype. You can just move around. Yeah, but yes, the, the key is to have conversations in person as much as possible. So if you can find where they hang out, terrific. If you can find where they hang out online and then reach out to them there, terrific. But then, yes, have a Hangout or a Skype conversation. Um, and again, one-on-one is key. One-on-one or at most two-on-one. Okay. But you ha- if, you, if you're going out two-on-one, one of you is the, co- one of you is the, is the, uh, is the, the person asking the questions. And the other one is the note taker. Ah, I like that. Yeah. Just to record it. Yeah, just yeah. record and get it down, yeah. Yeah, because fo- focus groups are not research. So focus groups is, is when you get a bunch of them in a room behind a two-way mirror, right? Focus groups are not research. Uh, I think uh, there was a book that just came out by uh, Erica Hall about research, and she called focus groups uh, research theater, which is, okay. <laughs> which is essentially what it is, right? I mean, even with a great facilitator, you're not going to get insight about the, the viability of your product. You can get directional insight about a brand or a theme, but, but as far as really digging into some market feedback, one-on-one is best with one person taking notes, because it, it's just, it's really hard to, to ask questions and take notes at the same time. Gotcha. So going back to your three things, the need, where, uh, where they're solving, and then, uh, what was it? For the, like the value. The value, and then do they know how yeah. to use it? So now we, we can f- sort of figure out if they need it, maybe, and yeah. value it, and then how to use it. I guess you can do all three if you had a clickable prototype. You could do all three, absolutely, but uh, really the, 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 the initial conversations, especially, especially with, um, with early-stage startups, because, look, your runway is short, yeah. right? Whether you're bootstrapping or whether you're spending a VC's money, it doesn't matter. Your, your runway is short, so the goal is to figure out very quickly that we're not on the right path or that, we're on, or that we are on the right path before we spend any more money down this path. Right. Right? And so through these rapid design techniques and by designing as a, as a cross-functional team with engineering and, and uh, engineers and designers together in the same room and then going out and talking to these customers together, right. you start to build a shared understanding across the team that, and, and everybody can kind of keep this pace moving forward. And you can do this once a day, even twice a day, if you're working quickly enough, gotcha. uh, to get these to get the, this g- Generally, for engineering types and even a lot of designer types, they don't like talking to random people. They like sitting in front of their computer. Man, this is scary stuff. It's, it's a this whole is, new this world. is like salespeople stuff. Let them marketing guys. Let them deal with all this. Am I wrong, Jeff? Come on, let's be honest. You're, here. you're wrong. Okay. <laughs> Fair it's, it's 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 a whole it's a new world. And listen, I mean, if, you you have to know who you're building products for. You have to know what's motivating them. And, and what I've seen firsthand, both in small companies and large companies and as a consultant, is that when, when this cross-functional team of designers, engineers, and product people go out together and build a, a, a shared mental model of who they're building a product for right. and the pain point that they're actually solving yeah. and how their solution is actually resonating with those people, the, the productivity, the creativity, and the efficiency of that team skyrockets. Like it, yeah. it becomes a whole different conversation yeah. where everybody knows why you're working on this right, thing. Right. Yeah, that's such a good point. Yeah. The the focus and knowing what you're doing, it makes a lot of uh, small decisions a lot easier, right? Because you don't have to go back to the drawing board and say, why are we doing this again? Yes. So to, you don't have to apply each question again because you already have a foundation and you all know why. 
Exactly. Yeah. Everybody. Everybody's been a part of it, and so yeah, the the it, it it's it becomes almost second nature when a team starts to get really good at this. There's a level of uns, even unspoken communication that that uh, that takes hold, and again, the the efficiency and and really the the amount of time you're spending doing the wrong things starts to drop down significantly, and and it's it's really powerful stuff, and and it, it's it's meant to take. It's it's meant to make you as successful as possible as quickly as possible. Hopefully, before your runway runs out. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, so let's cover some more uh, uh, principles in your book. Sure. Um, the uh, the the key again. So so we talked about uh, uh, doing research with customers and and how to do research with customers. Um, the the other and we talked about cross functional collaboration. The key also is to make sure that you're only creating the assets that you need to take the next step forward. And that's really the big the difference next here. next step it's, forward. Yeah. And so if you think about traditional design and UX design, very document heavy, right? Lots of like wireframe decks that are this thick and, and product requirements documents and design specs. And if you've ever done any of that work, we're, we're, we're throwing away the, the, the need for the thickness, for that level of thickness of documentation and focusing on creating... Only, only the thing that we need to move us to the next step in the process. So what do we need to know? Where, where are we in, in the process? What, what we validated that, um, that expecting mothers have a need for the thing that we're building. Okay, great. So the next thing that we need to know is would they value the service that we're building for them? Okay, what's the, what's the lightest weight thing that I can design to learn that? Mm-hmm. Without building That's, the whole product, right? Without, build, without even designing the whole product, mm-hmm. right? It's a question of, can I go out there with a, with a napkin sketch? Maybe that's mm. not enough, right? Can I go out there with, with three wireframes right. or a paper prototype? And sometimes that is enough mm. to get a sense of, wow, you know what? I, I'm building you this diaper delivery service, right. you know? And, and, yeah. and, and, she, and, and you start talking to these expecting mothers, and they'll say, well, you know what? Uh, I, I get that from Amazon. So terrific! I need this, but how how is this better than Amazon, mm-hmm. right? And and that's and that's that's a great thing to learn when you've expended three hours putting together a paper prototype, right. as opposed to three weeks or three months building a product. Yeah. This is so timely because earlier and Jeff, uh, you, you know what I'm talking about here. We had actually had another entrepreneur on that's built a subscription mm-hmm. service for toiletries and that kind of thing. And one of the early customer development issues he was running into was the constant, well, I, Amazon already does this. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, yeah and he, and, he was doing his user research at Starbucks. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let, let me give you another example. I have a friend of mine was looking to start, uh, you know, the, the, the latest trend in social networks is hyper-local social yeah. networks, like a social yeah. network for my block, my city block or my neighborhood. Neighborhood, or yeah, next door. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so he wanted to do the same thing. And he, he came and he pitched me. I live in the suburbs. You know, he came and he pitched me on it. And I said, that's terrific. I'm a member of my town's Facebook group, right? What does your service do that my Facebook group, because currently I get what I need out of it. You know, there's like lost cat notifications, need a babysitter, you know, uh, there's a parade from 4th of July, the pool's open. Like, I get all that stuff, right. you know, from the Facebook group. Right. What can your, what will your service provide me that this doesn't, how will you do this better than a Facebook group or a LinkedIn group? Right. Right? And sometimes, those are the exact tools that you should be using to test your idea. Mm. Right? Why design or build anything when there's existing infrastructure 
that you can use to test your ideas, like Facebook groups. I can give you one more really quick example from a large company. There's, uh, there's a rumor that I read online, on, uh, it's actually on Mac Rumors, so it's a rumor. Uh, but um, but th there's an eBay store that sells refurbished Apple products for about $100 less than the Apple store sells them. And it's got some generic name like refurbished devices or some, something like that. Right. Um, the rumor is that Apple runs that store. Huh. Oh. And that they run that store to run testing on marketing, pricing, brand devaluation, all in plain sight. Wow. Using existing infrastructure. So even Apple doesn't, is they're not building anything. Right? They're just using existing tools to test things. And you can do this. There, there's so many. Again, LinkedIn is a terrific tool. Facebook, email, uh, oh, this eBay. Is, this is a great little insight. So we can theoretically, yeah. if I'm part of a meetup group and they have a shared sort of bulletin board, I can I can reach out to these people and, and come up and throw them emails with a graphic of my user interface and, yeah, and really start validating the idea and ask them these three big questions. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can give you one, one last example really quick. I was just in New Zealand a couple of weeks ago, and I was meeting with this startup, and a, a, a shared, I think they're like a Skillshare uh, thing for New Zealand. They're called Chalkle. It's like Chalk L-E. Okay. And uh, they've been building their service on top of meetup.com. Hmm. Everything they do is built on top of meetup. Meetup is the platform okay. that they use to bring people together okay. for these shared education courses. Wow, that's cool. That, I dig that, man. I dig that a lot. Yeah. That's genius. Yeah, I'll, I'll go on and build on an existing platform, but maybe serve a very specific thing. And you're doing this to test your idea. This way you don't have to spend money on developing that platform. Mm. And when you've, when you've validated that this is something that you want to do, that's when you go and build your thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so tell me, Jeff. Um, obviously, Eric Reese with the whole lean thing has really struck a huge nerve, and and I know the timing for all this is right. Uh, obviously, you're on the bandwagon on this whole lean thing, man. Uh, do you ever get any little backlash here because you're jumped on the whole lean thing? Uh, like people are like, oh, I'm tired of hearing the lean thing. Isn't there something new now? What's the new buzzword? <laughs> Uh, you know, I do get backlash, but it's not about, about hey, what's next after lean. Although it's funny, I just had a conversation with my business partner about that. We went, we just went for a coffee and talked about what, what, what could be next. But no, the backlash that I get um, is from the UX community. If, if I get any, and it's not a lot to be fair, but what I do is I get it from uh, uh, UX designers who have come, who have been around, who've been working for 10, 15, 20 years, guys, yeah. and, and they're, they're wondering how this changes their world. Mm -hmm. and, and how this, if they're going to need to learn new skills or if I'm devaluing the profession. Right, sure. um, and, and that's the backlash that I get is that this is scary. Um, I'm not sure I want to do this. Uh, it, feels, it feels rushed and half-assed. Um, and, and uh, you know, it's not like we're not doing proper research. And, and, and so I, that's the backlash that I get a lot is from people, is, is really from the more traditional folks about, hey, how does this change my world? But I think I, if you had to put it in a nutshell, what exactly is the big change? Is it just a smaller iterative versus the big deliverable? Is that it? Yes. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's, less, it's less formality yeah. and more, more scrappy. On your toes. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, hey, let's, let's just do the bare minimum. Right? Because anything, like if you, if, you, if you subscribe to any kind of lean philosophy, anything more than what you need to do is waste. That's a waste of your time, right? So let's just do the, the, the bare minimum that we need to do yep. 
to get to the next thing. I have to say, though, Jeff, uh, doing the bare minimum and just doing it that way feels kind of scary. You feel like you need to prepare more and do more. And, you know, that whole, like, feeling that you've prepared and did all this extra work and it's going to work as opposed to doing the bare minimum, you know? It sounds like people love the formality, too. The the formality and the structure makes them feel more comfortable as well. Yeah, Jeff, you're right on. There's that that CYA, there's that, you know, CYA attitude of 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 buttoning everything up. But the goal is, is, is to do less more often. So to do to do less, but to do to do it more times, and so that gets you through that learning loop, uh, you know, as many times as you can, right? Because look, unless you're building a product for yourself, right, strictly for yourself, mm-hmm. then anything that you put out there, any idea that you have, is a guess. It's an assumption, right. and you don't know that it's true. And the sooner that you can find out that it's true or false the better off you are. Gotcha. Yeah. And in your opinion, is true validation when you get the credit card? What exactly in your opinion is, like, this is really, beyond the person maybe blowing a little smoke up your butt, because maybe they are. Maybe they are want to be nice and don't really want to give you the harsh reality. How do you yeah. How do you separate that? Uh, I think that, so there's, there's, there's levels of validation, right? So you, want, you, want, you have to ask yourself and your team, what do we want to learn with this experiment? Right. Mm-hmm. This experiment is about learning whether or not people need another photo sharing app. Okay. Right. And then, and then we set some kind of objective success criteria for that. If we get a hundred clicks on our fake subscribe button on our fake, you know, from our landing page test, okay. um, then yes, people people do want this. Right. That's one test. Another test is yeah, will they pay for the service? That's 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 another test. But the, the question is, you know, is to keep asking yourself, what what are we trying to learn? And then how do we measure success? And I, again, I, I, I know almost every entrepreneur in the world points to this, but it's, it's true. I mean, Dave McClure's Startup Metrics for Pirates, you know, uh, the, the activation, acquisition, activation, yeah. retention, retention, revenue. And referral, yeah. And referral, right? Yeah. Right? And, and, and yeah, and so that's, that's the phase, right? Because you could, you could have a, a, like, think about a startup, uh, you know, you could have a great launch, TechCrunch writes about you, right. 100,000 people come to your site, they sign up and they never come back. Yeah. Right. Yep. So, so, so that's you, you want to work through that those those startup metrics for pirates list and uh, and that, that's a terrific way to start gauging it. But always ask yourself, what are we trying to learn, and how will we measure success? Mm-hmm. So, how does the lean UX process look through the lifetime of a product? Is it mainly at the outset, at the beginning, when you're iterating and trying to build the, you know, find the market fit, or can you apply this process even, you know, after your startup's kind of like up and running? No, it's it's a continuous process, and that, and that's the point. The point is that that uh, because of this continuous delivery and continuous deployment, we're building cycles of continuous learning. And the learning never stops. Right? We continue to learn. We continue to test. We continue to move forward. Um, we don't want to add features on just for features' sake. And so, if if we're planning on like, and we have this idea for an extension to our service that's going to have a really complicated workflow and a user experience, hey, before we invest in designing that and and testing it and figuring out whether we can actually build it, what's the smallest version of that that we can that we can test to ensure that that's the next that's the place that we should take our company. Uh, forwards. No, so, so it's, a, it's an ongoing cycle. Uh, there's a lot of value early on at, at the product concept phase, yeah. but then you can use the same techniques 
to validate features as we move forward. In your book, do you have a bunch of case studies, or how do we actually see this in real life? Yep, so there are definitely a bunch of case studies in the book from companies big and small. Do you want to um, cover from, maybe a couple of small ones? Uh, or one, which, whichever one you feel comfortable with. So I, I, can share one, I can share a more recent one than the book even uh, for you with that. Yeah. Uh, this is from uh, a project that we're currently working on. Okay. So we, we're working with a large, we're working with a large publishing company. Okay. So it's not, it's not a small, it's not a startup per se. Got you like a um, Simon and Schuster, one of those. Yeah, and and they're trying to build uh, productivity apps for their readers, and so essentially they spun off a little entrepreneur team uh, that's got a, a limited limited funding okay. and limited runway to go find a way to engage their readers in in a in a with a productivity app, and that productivity app started off as a home maintenance tool, and as we started talking to customers, we've pivoted that. Um, the, the readership of this particular publisher of this particular publication are uh, are largely women okay. who run who run households, and so uh, turns out that home maintenance to these to this audience doesn't mean fixing a leaky faucet or a creaking door. Right. It means maintaining the sanity of the home. Okay. And so we learned that by talking to them, and so we quickly pivoted away from a productivity application, a, a a home maintenance app to uh, essentially a digital nagging tool, which is a, a, <laughs> a tool to communicate between partners. Yeah, so, to say, so, hold on, hold on. I mean, this, this is really cool. So they want to they maintain the sanity of a household. That was yes. the problem. And how did, what, how, what did you hear them, these women say? Oh, my, these, these kids are driving me crazy, my husband. What is it that they said to you you realized that was it? Yeah, look, I mean, first of all, they said, look, I, you know, if, if if there's a creaking door or a leaky or a leaky faucet, I call the plumber. Like it's it's not it's not something that I do. What I really need to do is I need to get the I need to get the car. You know, I need to get the oil changed in the car. I got to get the kids off to soccer practice. I got to make sure that my husband does the laundry or picks up the dry cleaning. Right. I, you know, what, whatever it is, like you heard all these tests and and and, and there's no nagging. Tool. Yeah, it's a nagging tool. Yeah. <laughs> well, but but, but it's, it's mutual nagging. You know, it's it's not unidirectional. I know, it's I know. Bi- no, I get it, but it's, it's perfect. It's yeah, it's it's brilliant. And, and so we and so we started to build and so this is the way we built it. This is classic lean startup for even for this large company is we built a Wizard of Oz MVP, a concierge MVP, with two people behind the screen. We, we got we, we got people to sign up as test participants, okay. and then they would they would uh, send emails to an email address that we that we had that said pick up the dry cleaning, and then we would receive that email. We would take that content. We would dump it into manually dump it into an email template that we had a nicely designed one, and we would f- send that email to the partner, and it said, "Hey, go pick up the dry cleaning." You know, Jeff would really love it if you picked up the dry cleaning. Okay. Right. And then when you reply to that email, it said "done," we would we would populate another email template and send it over to the partner and said, "You know, done, love you," kind of thing. You know, whatever check mark, and and literally had people behind the machine from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Facilitating this conversation between partners, learning what feature sets would work, what they're telling each other to do, feeling each other's pain, and evolving the feature set for that product over the course of six or seven weeks. Mm-hmm. And then we went back to the client. We said, "Look, there's traction here. People are using it. There's uptake. We should start automating some of these features." Hold on, then, this is great. I love this. So, you guys are manually receiving emails from the spouse. 
and that person would have a request. You would take that request and add it to a template that made it a little bit easier and more palatable for the other receiving party to get as opposed to directly to each other. And that's what yes. you're providing is this mediation and softening effect. Well, we, yeah, well, so we were, we were providing, we were the conduit for the conversation and, and, and there was no automation to the process. The point, right, is that we didn't build any software. We mm-hmm. used Trello to manage the, the project okay. and then we used email and HTML email templates manually populated to make it seem like there was a service here. Right. Make it seem like there was a, a system of engin- engineered product. Right. Exactly. What, what do you think of this, Jeff? Yeah, it's pretty creative. I mean, I think we, we love the fact that, you know, doing uh, low-tech testing, you know, manually taking the tools. And, and like you said, I think you learn a lot from engaging in that experience, too. You can uh, more quickly, uh, in, you know, get the whole team on board with what the real pain is. Absolutely. And listen, we had our designer and our engineer be the service. And, okay, and, and, so for, and for the record, the, the people who participating in the test were told that our servers are only open from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Wow. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's how you pull it off. It's so, yeah. This is so cool, man. I dig yeah. this a lot. So this is a great way of people can validate an idea without a lot of equipment, without a lot of technology. Nothing. A- email, HTML. And Trello, which is a free product, so mm-hmm. that's it. I love this. And so, what that's happened? Great. How did you come? How did you uh, take all this research after a few months or whatever it was, and then present it to the publisher? What, what did, when you said you had traction? What does that mean, traction? Right. So, so, so let's be clear. The the, the, the the customer in here, they're they're involved on a regular basis. They're not manning the servers, but they but or the the email communication, but they're coming in regularly. We have weekly decision making meetings with them um, and we're looking for success metrics. We're looking for people using the service X amount of times a week. Mm-hmm. We're looking for people telling their friends about the mm-hmm. service. We are uh, periodically surveying through, or, or having conversations with users of the service to understand why they're using certain things, why they're not using certain things. Would they pay for the service? You know, if we charge them a buck a month, would they actually pay for it? Mm. If it came free with a, with a subscription bundle with somebody else, with some other product, how would that work out? And so, and those are the learnings that that we're getting from the tool, and then presenting back to to our customer and saying, hey, listen, this is this is what's happening, and and you should continue to to build this product or or not, depending on on the you know the feedback, the insight. Wow. Wow. Well, yeah. And what's been the verdict? Are they going to go forward on this? Uh, it's interesting, you know, and, and that's that's the thing, you know. You read Lean Startup, you can read Lean UX, you can read uh, case studies, and, and in some situations, the feedback is crystal clear. It's like, yes, this is this is crushing. We got to do this, or wow, that was really stupid. We should never have even thought of that, right? right? right. Uh, I, I think the bulk of the cases fall somewhere in between, and I think that's that's where we are with this right now. Is this is there's good traction, but should should we double down on this is not perfectly clear. And so what we're going to do is we're going to let this run for a little bit longer, and uh, and essentially pause pause any further development on it and just kind of see how it's continued to be used, and then make a decision in the future gotcha. about about what, whether we should double down on it. And earlier you had mentioned a friend of yours had come to you because he's doing that hyper local sort of neighborhood social network. Uh, what how would he 
uh, use some of your principles to differentiate himself from the Facebook group of your city and that kind of thing? Well, look, I think I think what he would what he should do, and what I suggested for him to do, is to start a Facebook group for his block, call it you know Elm Street in Ridgewood, New Jersey, or, or wherever he lives, okay. and then and then go door to door, literally door to door to his neighbor. Cause look, how many people can it be in this group? Ten. 10, 12 households, 20 households, right. go door to door and get people to sign up. Right? Meet your neighbors and just get them to sign up for this Facebook group. That's the first test. If they tell you to go to hell, <laughs> right? right? That's a really that's a really good test, right? Yeah, hey, you yeah, didn't even yeah. have to set up the group. Right. Right? You you can and achieve then, almost the same results without building anything. Nothing. Nothing. Facebook group and go walk door to door. That's the first thing you should do. And then if you can get them to sign up, then let's see how they participate. Send some content out. See what they like, what people react to, what people don't react to. Um, get a sense of what the dynamic is for that type of group for your block. And then if you get it to work for your block, you've got to try it somewhere else because you never know. It could be just a, a false positive that's that's unique to the, to the dynamic of your neighborhood, right? You could have a really tight neighborhood, whereas we're, we're in my neighborhood, like I don't know my I know my neighbors to my left and to my right, but. You know, two houses down. Right. I couldn't. I couldn't tell you who lives there. Yeah. No. No. I completely agree. I have the same issue. Um, so I know we don't have a ton of time here, Jeff. Uh, tell us more about uh, where you're going to take this whole lean UX thing, and 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 what, what's what, what what's going on for you in the next six months here. Um, well, I'm doing. Look, I, I do a lot of public speaking, and I do a lot of traveling. Um, uh, I, I do consulting with a company called Neo uh, that Eric Reese is actually affiliated with, Neo.com. Okay. Um, I just finished this conference called Lean Day West in Portland, um, and really, uh, what what I'm interested in is look. These are these are ideas that come from the startup world. They come from entrepreneurs, and I'm interested in in taking these entrepreneurial ideas and bringing them to the enterprise, bringing them to larger companies, okay. and helping them understand how to build these innovation teams within large organizations, navigating the seas of politics and uh, legal constraints and, and all of those things. And I, lo- I really love that. These, uh, these huge enterprises are usually just acquiring startups because they, don't, they can't do it themselves. And so yeah. if you can figure out a way to get in there and do this, it could be huge. That could be massive. Yeah, and so that, and, and that's, that's where I've been focusing a lot of my effort. And, uh, you know, we had folks on stage at Lean Day West that really talked about how they're starting to implement some of these ideas mm-hmm. within large companies, and I'd like to bring that to, to other large companies as well. I love that. These guys definitely have the deep pockets. It could be a real business here. Uh, Jeff, I hope this really works for you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, me, me too. <laughs> no, come on. These yeah. guys have tons of money, like a big GE or something. Yeah, get in there and. And it makes sense. These guys are lagging behind, right? Like you kind of touched on the, uh, you know, some of the traditional people that push back a little bit. They're used to doing what they've been doing for the last decades. Yeah, and they're get and they're getting disrupted. I mean, it's it's inevitable. Exactly. They know it's I mean, happening around them. Yeah. I mean, I'll give, I'll give you another example. I spent I spent the better part of 2012 working with PayPal. And PayPal is a huge organization. Right. Uh, it's only about a 17-year-old company, which is not that long, but you know, 13,000 employees, and they're getting they're getting nipped at at both ends. They've got Square on the front end and Stripe mm-hmm. on the back end. That's right. And uh, and they couldn't innovate fast enough, and they're just now starting to apply these methods um, and to really build momentum for this way of working inside their company. And so it's it's really exciting to see that. And and that's I, I like that's really satisfying for me to see big companies start to make this kind of organizational change. Is this uh like a are you going to theoretically turn this into a startup of of itself? Like maybe build a company doing just this? 
Well, so I, so the company that I work for, Neo, uh, is this is this is part of what we do. We, we we come into large enterprises and we build and design software products with those companies in an effort to teach them how to do this. Okay. And so and so the short answer is yes, but we've I've, we've already done that, and we we're we're in in the midst of of making this company uh, uh, more successful and more well known. Good. Good. Well, That's I imagine great. the talking definitely helps the public speaking. It does, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, for those uh, entrepreneurs that are watching, uh, maybe entrepreneurs that are thinking about doing this, how what would you advise them? Obviously, doing these experiments is the first thing. How would they get past the hump of maybe getting started? I think, I think look, uh, the fir first and foremost, I would say uh, employ a designer or, or at least partner with a designer. I think there are, there are so many skills that uh, and insights that a designer can bring to the conversation. If if you if you if you're not a designer, if you don't feel particularly skilled in that realm, bring on a designer, partner with them, um, and and engage them in the process, so that you can help build this uh, this culture of learning and this culture of iterative design hmm. moving forward. That's that's the first thing to get started. Right. And then the next thing I would ask you to do, is, I would say to do, is to start thinking about what the smallest thing is that you can create to start to test your ideas it's and so work hard. with that designer. It's so hard, and it's amazing how small you can get. You yeah. know, when, when, I, when I teach this stuff, when I teach workshops inside of companies or public workshops, um, we send people out to do street intercepts in the mall with paper prototypes that they worked on in a half hour. And, and, and they, wow. they leave and they say, there's, there's no way we're going to learn anything from this. Right. And they come back an hour later, minds completely blown about what they learned in an hour of talking to people with a paper pro, with, you know, it's sketched sketches on a piece of paper, mm -hmm. essentially, and so and so that challenge yourself to do less. <laughs> wow! Oh god, that's scary, man. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you want to do more to try to protect yourself, but that's not the answer. Sometimes, a lot of times. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. All right. Well, Jeff, it's been a, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, man. This has been really great. My, my pleasure. Thanks so much, to you guys, for having me. This is this is a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, that's great. Uh, we learned a ton, and our audience sure should uh, t check out your book at leanuxbook.com and, uh, you know, get some, you know, if they don't uh, get a chance to go practice this themselves at one of these conferences, uh, it sounds like you've got a lot of these examples in the book that can help get uh, everyone's creative juices and their mindset in this, uh, you know, in this process. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so for those of us that uh, want to reach out to you, what's a good general email or Twitter, or how do people get a hold of you? Sure. Uh, so Twitter, jboogie. Uh, is my Twitter handle? Like that. Um, it's always always a good place to go, um, I, and I, I promote a lot of a lot of the things that I'm doing on there. Uh, although there's a lot more content than promotional stuff. Uh, and then uh, if you want to email me, I'm happy to hear from you. It's, it's Jeff at neo.com. J e f f at n e o dot com. Um, would be uh, feel free to uh, to email me, and I'd love to hear from anybody trying to do this. Awesome, I love that. Yeah, well, thank you so much for coming on today, Jeff. Um, have a great day. We'll definitely be following up in, in about six months or so. See how you're doing. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. All right thanks. See you.